Faith is the victory that overcometh the world. We just sang that song a moment ago. And hand in hand, we walk with the Lord each day. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all the name of the Lord Jesus. Those are three songs we just sang together. And what motivation, what incentive, what prompting consideration in regard to living a holy and godly life. So good that we could be together together today. Certainly a blessing indeed to come to the first day of the week. I hope that as you and I turn our attention for the next few moments to at least a portion of the Word of God, we'll be revived, we'll be encouraged, we'll be motivated in a sense to make sure that we're living as we should in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. I might take just a moment and say that certainly don't forget about the services tonight. At the 5.30 hour, of course, we'll have the opportunity to sing and to pray and the other aspects of worship, but that will include a reflection on the book of Micah. So tonight, come back and study with us as we at least give some thought to that wonderful Old Testament prophet. We'll be moved in some interesting ways to appreciate the development through time and how that our Heavenly Father overrules all of it. But for this morning, what about the Christian and social media? I know that we are certainly aware of the fact that we're surrounded by things that this opening slide, in fact, will easily put before you and me. You and I know that we've arrived at a time in civilization when social media is all around us. Some of the words that were not even in the vocabulary 15 or 20 years ago are now a common part of language. Things like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, just to name a few. Inasmuch as these kinds of things are so common, and they are certainly all about us, isn't it an interesting thing to be reminded that we, of course, as Christians, would need to reflect upon and ensure that our usage of them would be that which pleases our Heavenly Father. Now certainly, as you and I will note today, we know quite well that technology in that light can be used wonderfully. It can be used to promote godliness. It can be used to promote things which really are good. But we also know quite well that they can be used in a way that is not only detrimental to us, it can be detrimental to others who are observing of us. We thus must be mindful as Christians about some matters that the Word of God will be quick to share with us about things connected to the usage of that kind of technology. As you close that slide with me, we're going to make to use today of a few biblical principles that at least can provide us some guidance on the proper usage of these things. Let's go to the next slide and appreciate it like this. I thought I'd begin with just a few observational notes. I found some of these quite interesting even myself as I began to do some of the research involved in it. Cell phones, which is primarily, I think, what you and I consider as we think about social media, but certainly it isn't limited to that. Desktop computers, tablets, laptop computers, on any kind of such device. We can easily access the Internet, and thus we can involve ourselves in some usage of, of, of social media. But I suppose most of us probably think about the employment of cell phones. On that opening part of that slide... Cell phones really aren't that old in terms of technology. The first one was developed in about the middle 1980s, and I have a picture I want to show you on what's next, and then we'll return to this slide in just a moment. 
The top left side of that, as far as I could tell, was the first, quote, what you and I would call a cell phone. Look at it. It was a monstrosity in many ways, wasn't it? I am told, at least by the research I was able to do, that only a very, very small number of people could ever afford one. It cost about $10,000. Now, what that thing was is primarily wealthy business people, at least by the way the description was, they, of course, could afford it, and thus in the midst of cities where there was ample coverage at that time, they could, in fact, make their calls and take care of business deals even when they were in their automobiles or things like that. But probably the latter picture, the one on the right, is more akin to what you and I would at least imagine today. These common handheld devices, which are not only powerful in terms of telephone communication, but, yay, connection to the Internet and so global communication in light of a whole host of opportunities. As we revisit that previous slide then, let's go back and look at it this way. When cell phones were thus first put in place, they were primarily for basically replacing a landline telephone. But probably, as you and I are well aware, though that is still possible, that's most often what they're not used for anymore. Now we use them for any number of other activities. You'll notice on the top of that slide, a few observations by way of statistics that give us at least a reminder about the commonality and the usage of some of these things. In the year 2020, just two years ago, Internet usage in North America was about 2.1 hours per day. Now look at some of the subdividing categories to that usage. Millennials, that is to say those born between 1981 and 1996, 3.8 hours per day. And then Gen Z individuals, those born between 1996 and 2012, four and a half hours a day on average. Now, you and I know what the average would indicate. Some of that number were using it a lot more than four and a half hours, and others some, somewhat less, no doubt. I would at least offer this interesting thought. As you look at the numbers, four and a half hours a day, at least on that last category, if you multiply that out, that means in a decade that would equilibrate to over 22 and a half months of usage. That's certainly a lot of one's time and a lot of one's activity connected, you see, to the features of connection to the Internet. Some additional statistics. Facebook Messenger. That's a particular opportunity made available, of course, by way of Facebook. But according to the actual Facebook website, Users send about 8 billion messages a day. Now, that's a fairly recent statistic as far as I was able to tell. The next slide adds some more statistics. We'll go past these, this picture. We're all quite familiar, I suspect, or at least most of us, with YouTube. And yeah, look at this one. YouTube users watch over a billion hours of online video every day. A billion hours. The next one. Among TikTok users, you and I might be aware that that certainly has gained an incredible amount of notoriety and powerful usage in many ways. In a span of nine months, just after the pandemic from COVID-19 began, TikTok usage skyrocketed from 38 to 82 minutes a day among those under age 15. 
clearly a lot of intrigue and an interest utilized in connection to TikTok and what it makes available. I'll simply pause long enough to say you and I know quite well that any technology like this, be it television, be it radio, be it these other social media matters, God would anticipate and expect all of us as Christians to ensure that we use these in a way consistent with principles found in the Word of God. Isn't it fair to say from 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that passage that was read just a minute ago, let me reread it and then let's make a few observations about it and let it direct us into much of the remainder of our lesson this morning. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Paul could even write to the Corinthians and remind them that what you eat, other aspects of your ongoing life, and yea, even the broad observation of whatever you do, make sure you do it to the glory of God. Is my usage of television and yours, is your usage of social media and mine consistent with our profession of Christianity? Is it consistent with what the Lord would be pleased? After all, He is aware of what we're doing, but is He happy with our choices? Is He happy with the particulars that describe our usage of social, of, of social media? As you and I close that slide, may I at least make one final statement. There have been a number of studies which indicate that excessive social media usage seems to be incredibly linked to a number of mental health issues. Now that's a little bit beyond the scope of our time today, but I'll just make that observation. If you'd wish to study that, please, please avail yourself of many attributes which might elucidate it. But let's move on to the next slide in which we look at some of the particular issues consistent with our usage of social media. The first thing I'd like to do is to highlight it is entirely possible, and many of us are well aware of it, to use social media in a good way, a productive way, a way that would be consistent not only with biblical principles, but would enhance one's life and one's Christian influence. I would not want this lesson to be taken in any way that every usage of social media is bad. You and I know that you can use social media and various apps, as they're called, in a wonderful way to help you read the Bible more often and perhaps in a more consistent way. There are apps that will allow you to organize your life in such a way that it's more efficient. Certainly there ain't anything wrong with that. There are apps, as you can see, that you and I can use to communicate, to stay in touch with children and grandchildren and friends. There are apps, you see, that will allow one to even be apprised of the weather. There are apps that will allow you to travel so you can avoid car crashes and other kinds of things like road detours. Those things are good. And those kinds of opportunities are certainly worthwhile. At the very least, you and I can, of course, use a cell phone to pick it up and actually make a call to someone we love or someone, again, that we might need to communicate with. I say all that, though, to say that although there are those good features and good characteristics, there certainly are potential dangers. There are things that could be problematic and could become an issue for you and me. And so aren't we thankful that the Bible will at least bring these to our attention? Let me start out with this one. Isn't it true, oddly enough, 
I consider it rather ironic that this device that is capable of such communication can actually be utilized to make a person antisocial. You can use a cell phone and build your own introverted world. I see it quite often, and perhaps you do too. There are students that will walk out of a classroom at Lipscomb and whip out that cell phone, and they will never look up. As they walk down the hallway, walk outside, I don't know how they don't run into people, but seemingly they don't. And they are completely oblivious to anything going on around them. They don't communicate with anyone except whatever's involved on that cell phone. That cannot be good, at least in the excessive way it often appears. God made us as social creatures. Your smile and mine does mean something to other people. We can encourage them just as they can encourage us. We can bear an influence upon them just as they can upon us. To be glued to the cell phone, surely, at least in the way it may well often appear, does pose a bit of an issue, especially in light of some of these verses. In Romans 14, verses 7 and 8, Paul, in fact, directly told the Romans, No man liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. We do have influence on other people, and if I'm glued into the cell phone and never share anything about the nature of what might be otherwise Christianity, then I may well be losing opportunities to show somebody what real life in Christ is all about. We may well be in a position, you see, wherein we are so excessively addicted to the cell phone, we're missing opportunities to share the good news of Christ with the people. We could become that way, couldn't we? Not only that, look at that next verse. Jesus stated something in Matthew 5.16. He pointed out, Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. Ye are a city set on a hill. Can I be that if I'm always glued to the cell phone? Isn't it interesting in that 16th verse, He said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If I'm glued to the cell phone, how capable am I carrying out the wonderful service of letting my light shine before others? Are we at least seeing a potential problem? I could become so connected to and so attached to this that I am aloof to the issues and problems that others may have. I may have the solution to somebody in need, but glued to my cell phone, they'll never know it. That last verse I would ask you to notice. In Philippians 2, verses 5 and following, Paul pointed out rather dramatically to that church in Philippi about the wonderful character of the mind in Christ was supposed to be the mind that is in you and me. Our Lord in humility and in great intrigue served the needs of other people. To those that were sick, He would heal them. To those that needed teaching, He would teach them to those who were in other matters in life, the Lord had the answer. May I suggest that as you and I would wish to also walk in those same kind of shoes, we would need to be mindful and not let the cell phone control us to the point that we did not take care of those opportunities of service when they're presented to us. But what about the second one? It's also true that it's entirely possible that given the nature of what the cell phone is and can do, that we might well use it almost exclusively as an encouragement to materialistic selfishness. 
you and I maybe can be aware of how it could happen. Somebody gets a new car, a new dress, new shoes, some other new element in their life, and so they take pictures and they parade this matter. Now, there ain't anything wrong with getting a new car or a new dress or something else that might well be new, but to give the impression that your life centers around this. That could become to be a danger because we are told, do not love this world. So if we constantly parade this kind of thing to the point where our attention appears to only be on this, we might give someone else the impression this, is, this means everything. All I'm offering is the thought we at least need to not let arrogance and pride in that way come before us. We don't want to turn people off because we may be blessed to have the car, but they're not. We would never want to give them the impression that we're better than them or that by some other means we are condescending and looking down upon them. That again could become an issue. Again, note some of those verses at the top in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. Paul admonished the Philippians, Look, not every man on his own things, but on the things of others. We would never want, you see, to put someone else off because we give the impression that we have this and you don't. Or that we've been able to acquire this, but you're not. That kind of thing might close doors between us and them so that they'll never have an interest in the church, never have an interest in the things that might save their soul. The Bible has much to say about that materialistic selfishness. We know that God grants us everything that we've got, and we're so thankful for those material things. But you and I know we mustn't love them to the point we love them more than our love for the Lord. We mustn't love them more than our conviction and connection to the Lord. And yet if we give that impression on what we convey on social media, we have done harm to what the Lord would wish us to stand for. The last thought about that would be this in Matthew 7 verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If we are giving that kind of an impression then we certainly realize that the issues it raises become serious enough to where we would not want it done to us that way. The particular point of that one might well lead us to the third one, which you'll notice about the middle of that slide. Social media, by its very nature, offers the following possibility. Think about how it works. A cell phone is a computer you can hold in your hand. It is every bit in many ways as powerful as a desktop computer. It's amazing what it can do, really. Back in the 1960s, we sent people to the moon on a fraction of the capacities of a, of a typical cell phone. A cell phone is an amazing device, really. And yet in it, you and I can load the apps we want, we can talk to the people we want. We can unfriend the people we don't like. I can build an entire universe in my phone that's exactly the way I want it. You, you get the idea. If I'm not careful, I can begin to think, well, the whole world's got to cater to me. I can begin to feel as if that's the way it's supposed to happen. And hence, people can become to the point they don't know how to take rebuttal. They don't know how to take correction, and they don't know how to take circumstances in which it doesn't go their way. A phone can put together a very clear, false sense of reality. You begin to see the idea. 
On that slide, I've painted it in the following sense. You see, you begin to lose connection to what's real. Don't you know that there are folks who can enter a chat room and you can portray yourself to look different, to be different, to have a different job, and to have a whole different kind of life than what you actually live. But you see, it's only a fantasy. It's not real. There's nothing about it that's real. And if you begin to suppose, even indirectly that it is, you have harmed yourself. You have put yourself in a position to be unopened to the actual words that are real. One of the things the Bible does to all of us, and it does it time and again, it stomps all over our toes. When there's something about my life and yours that's not right, the Bible says you've got to change it. It's not that you can finagle it and somehow portray it to be right. You've got to repent. And you've got to change, and there is no other way about it. But if I'm accustomed to this fantasy world, where I can contrive things the way that I want them, I'll try to find loopholes, and I'll be unwilling to make those changes because I've never had to make them. The Bible time and again reminds us we have to not let ourselves come to that point. If you're beginning to sense that that's true, start placing restrictions on your social media usage. Lay that phone down. Start interacting with other people so your connection to reality is stronger. Consider this extreme case. Perhaps an elder of the church becomes aware that certain things by way of social media are not right. And in love, the elder approaches you and says, You know, as a Christian, you can't do this. The Lord's not pleased with this and urges you in prayer to make some changes. Are you going to be willing to do it? Are you going to be willing to eliminate that app from the phone? Are you going to be willing to no longer have any connection to that idea? You see, if we have become addicted to what step number three might indicate, we might have a strong resistance to this. And we might begin to love that more than we love the Lord. You see, just like other things in life, we can be addicted to cell phone usage. We can be addicted to social media outlets and other matters like it. At the bottom of that slide, for instance, look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow worketh for penance to salvation. If I'm so addicted to this, am I going to be sorrowful for having used it? Will I reach a point where in tears I might recognize it? Probably not. At least it's not going to come easily. The Bible urges us, if there are attributes of your life or mine that need changing, we in tenderness need to be ready to change them. So far, these three have reminded us of some possibilities of the dangers connected to cell phone usage. Let's look at number four. I suppose this one is perhaps one of the most evident ones. It's entirely possible that a cell phone can promote secret sin. You and I know it all too well. We've seen too many stories about it. We may have even heard direct personal accounts from those guilty of it because of the secret character of that phone. It has a password after all, and so only I can get into it. Or maybe you and those close to you that you shared the password with. And yet in that phone, I can readily access things I ought never to be seeing. You can whip out that phone, you can place a gamble, a wager, a couple of keystrokes will do it. 
Now, you can do the same thing on a desktop computer, I admit, but think of how easy. Whip out the cell phone any time and gamble. Whip out that cell phone any time and look at pornographic pictures. Nobody needs to know. You can do it in your car without anybody else there. In your office, maybe, with the door closed. You can do it in the house when no one's around watching. All kinds of secret singing. You know about it, and God does too, but no other human. I might say in that connection on that slide, one of the problems that has become a strong part of what has become a real issue is pornography. To look at images of the opposite sex. Nakedness. It's all over the internet, I'm told. In so doing, you realize Jesus, of course, had much to say about this under the premise of Matthew 5, 28. To him who looks on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. Brethren, again, if, if that's an issue, find counseling. Talk to one of our elders. Let them know they won't share that information. They'll consider that in a very private way, but they'll help you find someone who can help you point is, your soul's at stake. Secret sin, you see, is something a cell phone can promote if we let it. The secrecy of that sin is still a reminder that sin is sin. You see, it's an interesting thing to notice that although we live today in a time that may seem different, people in Rome or Corinth, as we read about in the Bible, they didn't have cell phones, admittedly. But isn't it true that the kind of things that they were able to see at the public gymnasiums and in other ways is still public nakedness? And the Bible condemned it then, and it condemns it now. Aren't you thankful as well as I am that the principles etched unchangingly in the Word of God shall remain true until the end of time? You may notice otherwise. There are other things that can be done secretly on a phone. We can harm our marriages. You ought not ever be flirting with a member of the opposite sex on the cell phone. Gentlemen, only your wife. Ladies, only your husband. You ought not be sending particular messages to someone other than your wife that may have flirtatious issues in them. I ought not be sending something, again, along that line to some man other than your husband. The point is, many a marriage has ultimately caused some issues or problems when this is found out, and it will be found out. A line will be crossed. Matters can easily occur. But again, we've got to be careful. When you and I send messages, do we send them to someone and have in it the kind of content that our husband or our wife would approve of? If not, you better not send it. No reason to send it. There should be no cause or consideration whereby that message ought to be sent. In addition to that, look at number five. It's entirely possible, as you and I have noted earlier, that the usage of cell phones can certainly become extreme to the point where at least one could ponder this thought, could it be a waster of time? That is to say, something in which we're employing more time than what would be appropriate. Look at some of these considerations. I think we already know there's enough governmental agencies that remind us that social media usage can be addictive. 
it can be. That's not to say that everyone that uses it is addicted to it, obviously. But give thought to the number of hours a day. How much are you and I using it? And then ask it like this. Do I get to the point that I perhaps begin to use it and I'm looking for a piece of information, but then once I found it, I sit there and scroll endlessly for minutes, perhaps hours on end, just looking at what else is there? Then if so, I may have a problem. You know, the issue you see on that slide is this. God urges us and places before us the reality He expects things of us. Things related to accomplishment, things that relate to work, things that relate to other matters of productivity. God grants to each of us 168 hours in every week. 168. And we understand well that a good fraction of that goes to sleeping and others of it to work. And we know other things as well are necessary and integral parts of that. Relations to our family and entertainment and recreation, all that's wholesome and good. Of the remaining hours, am I spending a large portion of that just thumbing over social media? Things that have no ultimate productivity like communication with family. We all know that you could spend hours on Facebook doing nothing but looking at these pictures of people you don't know, by and large of circumstances unconnected to you. Maybe it's something to seriously consider for us, isn't it? Under the banner of verses like these, in Proverbs 22, verses 12 and 13, God places a heavy restriction of judgment upon those that are wasters along that line. Where do you and I fit in this? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And it's, all, it's one that only us individually can answer for ourselves. I'm sure that each of us are aware again of how good and how informational some social media can be. But am I just mindlessly using it for hours on end? Not really productive or accomplishing anything. If it's in that latter category, I suspect we ought to at least reduce that amount and direct that usage of time in a way more productive, in a way that is more consistent with efficiency that God would ask and that He would expect of us. Aren't you sometimes amazed to think about the life of Jesus? How often did He spend time mindlessly sitting, about, sitting around doing things that seemingly had little productivity connected to it? Aren't you amazed in John 4, even when He sat at a well? Now, the text didn't say he was tired. It seems to indicate he was waiting for the apostles to come back and they want to have lunch. But the Lord had a conversation with a Samaritan woman. He didn't just waste the time, apparently. And in Matthew chapter 9, you recall there the interesting scene. The fields are white and ready for harvest. Apparently suggestive of our need to be using in efficiency that which we've been given. It would seem the Bible would encourage us then to at least reflect upon our usage and ask whether it might be excessive and whether it might be in the category of being wasteful. Number six, one last one, is this one. I state this one this way, and you might at least begin to think that that doesn't sound any different than some we've looked at earlier. But the way in which we shall develop it will be slightly distinct. It is entirely possible that you can use social media to promote sinfulness. 
And you might even do and do it in a way that you're not even aware of. And therein lies a great danger. You may ask, what, what do you mean by that? Let me try to explain it this way. You and I, as we use social media, we can in fact read something or become apprised of something, and we maybe without much thought could just forward that on to other people. May I suggest if we do that, we have just approved everything that was in that message. Whatever was in it, we've given our public approval of it. It may well be that what was in that message was a photo or a picture. Maybe somebody, it was a nice friend or someone we loved dearly, but in the background was a picture of Bud Light. We've just given public consideration to the approval of drinking alcoholic beverages. Don't send that kind of a picture, ever. Maybe in that picture there was a woman that wasn't dressed as modestly as she should be. We've just given our approval to a modest dress. Maybe in that photo, or at least in that description, there was a reference to some denomination. As if it was all right, we've just given our approval to denominationalism if we've done this. We've got to be careful, brethren. We can't use social media to endorse what's sinful, be it public nakedness, be it immodesty, be it social drinking, be it denominationalism, any other vice in the Bible that the Word of God would present. We, we can't just forward it on as if we approve it. And Romans 1.32 says, by sending it on, we have given our approval to it. Therefore, we must be cautious. Read what's in those messages. We all must. And again, if it's not consistent with the Word of God, don't like it, don't forward it, don't send it on. Because we would never want to be cataloged in a category wherein the Word of God would in fact cause us to fall short of what God would have us to be. Can social media be a good thing? Absolutely. Can it be used in a wonderfully productive and godly way? Oh, it surely can. And aren't we thankful that God has allowed the human family to invent and develop things like this? But just as with any other technology, it can be used in a way that's harmful. It can be used in a way that's not ideal. It can even be hurtful to ourselves as well as to others. And for that reason, let's come to our closing slide, which is merely a conclusion. Important lessons to be sure as we reflect upon our modern society and its usage of social media. As we use it, may we be thoughtful, may we be mindful, may we be appreciative of the teaching of the Word of God, and remember, first and foremost, we're Christians. The usage of social media must fall then under the banner of what a Christian ought to do. This very day, as we consider ourselves and our standing before God, are you a faithful Christian? Am I? We're so thankful for the Bible's revelation and for what is involved in serving the Lord with faith. If there's anyone in this assembly today who is not right with God, and we understand that may not be connected to social media usage, it may be something else entirely, but whatever that is, it stands between you and the God who loves you. It stands between you and the Lord that died for you. It stands between you and heaven. And surely you don't want that to continue. You don't want that to be the case. But rather, 
It would be our hope and prayer that you would rush to the loving side of the Lord. Make confession of those things as appropriate and obey what the Lord would command and demand of you. If you've never become a Christian today, the Lord would demand this. In order to contact His blood, in order to then be a Christian, this is what's required of every single human being. Acts 15, 9. You have to believe Jesus with all of your heart to be the Son of God. That is to say, there's no part in which you do not recognize His Messiahship, and His Word is exactly that which He intended it to be. Repent of the sins in your life, understanding that they are what sent Him to the cross and that those nails were driven into Him because of you. Confess His name as the Son of God. That is to say, give a verbal affirmation that He is the Lord of your life and that you will serve Him with faith from this time forward. And then be baptized for the remission of your sins. There, you contact His blood. His blood washes those sins away. And you are pure and white and sanctified and justified and clean. As you come forth from that watery grave, what a joyous occasion. If you've known the way of Christianity... But then over time, maybe you have begun to behave in ways that others around you know that's not right. Again, it may involve a cell phone, but it may involve any number of other things. But the important thing is, if you have a heart that's tender, and a heart that wants to make a change, and a heart that wants to repent, why don't you do it? Acknowledge those sins, and we would be delighted to pray this very day for you. If we could be of some assistance or help at this moment in time, we would invite you to come at once while together we stand and while we sing.